Vietnamese prison camp. And he noticed a surprising trend about the prisoners in the camp with him. Those who survived weren't the optimists. The optimists, he said, were the ones who were like, we're going to be out by Christmas. By Christmas, we will be home. And then Christmas would come, and Christmas would go, and Easter would come, and Easter would go, and then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. And he says, I watched soldier after soldier die of a broken heart. Optimism is believing that you'll be lucky, that the world will make things easy for you. Hope isn't so foolish or naive. Hope is deeper and richer. The interviewer, Arthur C. Brooks from The Atlantic, who was interviewing James Stockdale, said, There's a word for believing you can make things better without distorting reality. It's not optimism, it's hope. I think we need hope. I need hope. And today we're kicking off a new series about how to, how to fan the tiny embers of hope in our hearts so that we're hopeful people who impact our city and our community and our world. Hope is a joyous anticipation of good that is not here yet, or that we cannot see yet, that we believe can happen because our actions matter. And what we do can manifest what we long for. We hope, in other words, standing up. Hope isn't something where you're just like, you lay in your bed and say, hope I get a job. You know, like, you take some action with it. Tertullian, an early church father, said this, Hope is patience with the lamp lit. You're ready to go. You have your lamp lit. You're expecting a knock at the door. Our world in this cultural moment desperately needs hope. A few years ago, I sat down with an older Philly church pastor who was pastored for over 60 years inside the city. And I just asked him, I said, here's some of the things I've seen since I've been up here eight years. Tell me some things about the city. Help, I want to know the people so I can serve the place. And he began telling me about his ministry and his life. And here's what he said to me. He says, Philly has a spirit of hopelessness. And that's why the message of Jesus is so important in this place. A spirit of hopelessness. Have you felt that? In the suburbs, in the city, in the community around here? A sense of hopelessness? Um, when they were hanging up this climate change show here at the Art Center, and I was helping the curator hang this up, uh, she took down a bunch of the lights throughout the galleries, so I brought more lights up, and I was like, okay, let's put more lights up, because it's a very dimly lit show. And she goes, my intention is for it to be dark, because it is not a hopeful show. And I'm all for we need to be realistic about climate change, but I'm like, why can't we be talking about what we could do to change things? Why couldn't we have a hopeful perspective? It's a very hopeless show, she said, and that was her intention. I feel like we're constantly having messages of hopelessness presented to us. And I don't know about you, but that doesn't make me want to get up and do something to change the world. It makes me want to just give up. Just lay down and be like, well, if there's no point, it's all just heading to ruin, what, what, why am I even doing this? Um, you turn on the radio or on the news or I walked into a bookstore the other day and the, the books right in front of my face were books on like the end of democracy. Democracy is dead. And then they're right next to it, the planet is dying. And then it's like, justice is dying. All these things are, and I was like, I'm so depressed right now. Like, we need a message of hope. Because what we're constantly hearing is how everything is hopeless. And what we do every day doesn't seem to matter. And we, our alarm goes off and we're like, why am I getting up? 
If we're all just heading to ruin, like, what's the point of me going into worship? Like, why am I doing this? And it's not just in our world, right? Inside the churches, we have a lot of hopeless news. The average U.S. church had 137 attenders in the year 2000. Guess what it was in year 2020? Uh, so the average church had 137 people in, in the year 2000. Oh. The average U.S. church. What's the average now in 2020? 20, it's a little bit higher. It's 65. That's a big drop in 20 years. They haven't done the same survey. This was the Baltimore Antioch Leadership Movement who did this survey. They haven't done it since 2020 because you know what's happened since then? It's going down even more. We had a pandemic. People stopped coming. They realized, man, there's some unhealthy, even toxic things in churches. They didn't come back. And so the number is probably even lower. And so it's easy to look at that and be hopeless. To look at our world and look at our environment, to look at our politics and say, well, it's hopeless. Tragedy doesn't ruin us. Hopelessness does. When we lose our sense that what we do matters, that who we become matters, that we have a role in to play and bring about a better future, that's when we lose the battle. The enemy cannot defeat us because Jesus already defeated him on the cross. He already won the war. The enemy only wins when we surrender, when we lose all sense of hope. And I think the enemy knows that, and I think that's why he attacks our hope. That's why he tries to make us hopeless. That's why he constantly brings messages of hopelessness. When we lose our sense that what we do matters, we get that's why we need to become relentlessly hopeful people. That's how we fight the enemy, by hoping despite all the hopelessness around us. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, a church that was divided over class, a church that was divided over race, a church that was divided over economics. And he wrote this powerful prayer in Romans 15 and 13. This is what it says. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, the God of the Bible, Jesus, is a God of hope. The Greek and Roman and Norse pantheons are filled with gods of war and sex and prosperity. It's like the God of thunder, you know? Yahweh, Jesus, he's a God of hope. And that's what I need, and that's what I think you probably need, and that's what our city needs, and our country, and our world, we need Hope. We need Christians to overflow with hope, to become so like our hopeful God, everyone around us feels hopeful too. Anybody remember when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2018? Okay. It was like something happened in this city. Like people were like going around, oh, we should be the capital of the United States instead of stupid Washington, D.C., you know? We're the greatest city in the Northeast, but stupid New York City takes all the credit. And then all of a sudden we won the Super Bowl, it's like something happened in the city. People were like, I was walking up to a wall and people were like, good morning. It's like, saying good morning to me. What happened, you know? We won the Super Bowl. Everything in the city changed. People got hopeful. The atmosphere in this area changed. It was like for the first time, people in Philly believed that good things could happen, that they could win at something. It lit a spark of hope. They believed that good things could happen to them, not just bad things. They believed that what they did mattered, that their effort, their kindness, their sacrifice wasn't wasted. 
Our city, our neighbors, our co-workers and friends and family are desperate for hope. I'm desperate for hope. Over and over again, for the last four years of starting Horizon, I've got excited about things, I've prayed for things, I've worked for things, and I've watched those things not happen, or sometimes get worse. You know, in eight years of marriage, I have hope for things for our family, and prayed for things, and we worked for things, and those hopes ended up dashed. I kept hoping that over the last uh, couple years of the pandemic, that the crisis would make people lean into their faith, but I think many of us, myself included, have become less faithful in our apprenticeship to Jesus. That I think sometimes I look less like Jesus than I did before this, not more like him. The Bible talks about what happens when you keep hoping and keep hoping and keep getting disappointed over and over again. In Proverbs 13 12, it says, A hope deferred makes the heart sick. Man, I felt that. Haven't that when you've been so hopeful about something and then your hopes are all gassed? You're like, I just won't hope anymore. It just hurts too much. When we hope and hope and hope and nothing good happens, our heart gets sick. And at some point, we decide to just stop hoping. We harden our hearts, we become hopeless. And we despair. And if I'm honest, that's kind of where I am today. That's kind of where I am. Like, we started this series on hope, and I'm like, what am I going to say about this? Like, I just don't feel real hopeful. Like, I am heart sick. I feel like I hope for things in my personal life, in my professional life, in my church life. And I've hoped and hoped and hoped, and I feel like I have no hope left to give. Napoleon said, a leader is a dealer in hope. That's what leaders do. They deal out hope. And it's hard for me to give you hope when I find myself in short supply. And for the next two weeks, Darby and I, we're going to be away at a cabin in New York. We're going to just get away. Al and Marissa are going to run things here without us. They're going to do a great job. They need your help. Um, but we're getting away to rest and reconnect with God and have our hope restored. Because we can't lead thirsty people to a well of hope if we can't find that, hope, that well ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, and 13, Paul again says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. One day we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then there will be a day where I will know fully, and even as I am fully known. And now these three things will remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul talks about seeing a reflection in a mirror, and we're like, what's he talking about? When you look in a mirror, it's perfect, right? First century mirrors were not as good as our mirrors today. Many times they would hammer out metal to make a so that it was a smooth, reflective surface, and you would not see clearly. It was like a distorted image. Or they would look into a pool of water, or uh, you know, other smooth surfaces to try to get a reflection, and it was not the perfect mirrors that we have today. And what he's saying is, if you could see everything, that's going on, your heart would burst with hope. We see shadows, we catch glimpses, we see the occasional fingerprint of God in our lives. But if we could see everything he's doing, if we could see how he's using our prayers, how he's utilizing our small acts of obedience, our hearts would flood with hope. We wield more influence in this world than we realize. Like, and I don't have a hundred million followers on TikTok, you know, I'm not an influencer. We, if we could see clearly, we are having much more influence. The small way you behave, the small things that you say have an impact. It would give us hope. Dark powers know our name because we serve our God. Our prayers move spiritual mountains. Our prayers shake strongholds. Our words lift hearts. 
and our words stay suicidal hands. Take hope. We cannot always see it, but our ordinary acts of kindness and love are having an effect in our families, in our workplaces, in our city, and in our world. We see a pale reflection. We rarely get to see what's really going on, but just because we cannot see it doesn't mean nothing is happening. Ultimately, we hope, though, because we know that death is not the end of the story. Timothy Keller, a pastor in New York City who's dying of cancer, was recently interviewed, and they're like, so how are you dealing with this? Like, what are you doing? And he's like, the other night, my wife and I, we just broke down and cried together. Um, and then he paused and he said, but ultimately, if the resurrection is true, everything's going to be okay. If he said, if Jesus really walked out of the ground, if he really came back to life, if what I say my whole life that I believe is actually true, then this isn't the end of it. There's life beyond this. If the resurrection is true, what was lost will be found, what was broken will be made whole. We hope because these present afflictions are temporary and the kingdom of Jesus is forever. That is our hope. That is the words we share uh, when we offer sacrifices. We are, they are not in vain because we're building an eternal kingdom. Paul says, long after our enemies are in the ground, long after our problems are forgotten, faith, hope, and love will still exist. And I think faith and hope actually feed into love. Without faith and hope, our love will falter. What we believe and what we do to influence the future will affect how loving we are. When you're no longer hopeful, one of the first things that goes is your love for other people because you're like, what does it matter? Yes, we can simply give up and stop hoping, but all that does is make us a miserable person. It can be painful to fight to hope over and over again when you're like, I've been disappointed over and over again. But hoping again, even when your hopes have been dashed, is the path to become an agent of love. And at the end of this life, I don't want to be an old miserable, cruel person. I want to be a person who has chosen to hope despite all the setbacks and failures and disappointments of life. I want to be a person of love. The Christian life is about who you are becoming for the sake of others. That's what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, to live and love like him. Hopeless people do not become loving people. Hopeful people do. So how do we kindle the dying embers of hope into a roaring flame so that you can overflow with hope like Paul talked about? In Romans 15, where Paul prays for the God of hope to make our hearts overflow with hope, he also says some other things. In verses 1 through 3, he talks about um, helping others hope. Paul tells others to stop focusing on themselves and to focus on the people around him. Now, these words are surprisingly close to modern psychology. That's exactly what modern psychology would say to someone who was looking for hope. He would, they would tell hopeless people to listen to someone else's story. Often you'll be moved by how they overcame adversity, and you'll begin to believe that you can make it through too. Stories of hope breed hope. I often find by helping other people with their hopelessness, it inspires me to be hopeful. Have you ever had someone struggling with something, and you're like trying to find the words to say, and then you tell them something, and you're like, that's exactly what I need. I don't know, that happens to me a lot, where somebody will come to me, and they'll be like, hey, will you pray about this, will you think about this, and as I'm finding the words to share with them, I find that they're actually the words that I need to hear, I think that's the spirit at work. Sometimes the words I tell somebody are exactly what I need to hear. 
building up the emotional well-being of your spouse, your neighbor, your co-worker, your family member, or friend, might just be the boost of hope that you need yourself. Carrie Newhoff says the next generation is not looking for the church to find hate or hype. Too often, I think that's what churches produce. He says they're looking to the church to produce hope. This should be a gathering where we come together and we find other hopeful people whose stories of hope can inspire us and we can inspire them and in doing so find hope ourselves. What if helping others find hope is the very path for finding hope for yourself? In verses 4 to 5, he talks about practicing and remembering endurance. Uh, and Paul goes through a whole list of stories in the scriptures and stories of endurance that we see on display there. Story after story in the Bible is this. People waited and waited and waited and waited and waited. And you're like, is God even in this book? Like, where is he? And then their hope came, came to those who endured. The endurance we're exercising in this moment is building future hope. And somehow that comforts me. When I'm like, it's really hard to be hopeful right now, but as I keep fighting to be hopeful, that's building future hope into my life. My future self will be a more hopeful person because I'm enduring in the present. If you need hope now, look back to the moments that you have endured in the past. Take time to remember God has been faithful before. He hasn't changed. I think sometimes I'm just too forgetful. Um, Sometimes I'll just look through old journals that I have, and I'm like, I don't even remember praying this, but I wrote it down and said that God answered in this way. That's miraculous. How did I forget that? It's just so easy to forget all the times that God's been good because I'm so fixated on the times that I've felt to be disappointed. Keep a journal. Record your gratitude. Remember the moments that hope has been rewarded. That is the fuel for future hope. Sometimes endurance means changing our expectations. Sometimes we just hope for things that are not realistic or not actually fitting with God's character. Our culture has been trained to expect everything instantly. I order something on Amazon, and I'm like, two-day shipping? No, 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 it should be same-day shipping. You know, like, why isn't this item same-day shipping? And then I scroll through, and I'm like, oh, this one's from Amazon Warehouse. Same-day shipping, that's the one I want right there. I don't want to have to wait for this. The internet and Amazon have wired us to want everything now, but the best things take time. Relationships take time. Learning things take time. You know that saying 10,000 hours and become a master at something? If you just walked up and you're like, I'm now a master, I hit the button, I instantly downloaded all the knowledge I need, there would be no satisfaction in that. Having a baby takes time, writing a book, there's no way to speed these things up. Sometimes we lose hope because we have expectations that are not realistic, they are impossible. Sometimes we have to dismantle our expectations and take the adventure that God sends us. Number three, in verses 7 through 12, he talks about gathering and worshiping. Paul next explains that we should gather with hopeful people. You know when you're around miserable people, you walk away just feeling really excited. Excited about life. I don't. I like. I walk away feeling miserable. I have this one friend, and um, every time I talk to him, it's a long tirade of complaints and about everything that's wrong in his life. And he has a beautiful family and a great job and a really a really pleasant life. But he just always finds something to be miserable about. And I walk away and I'm like, yeah, my house isn't good enough. My, you know. And I just find myself complaining. It rubs off on me. Gather with hopeful people and it'll make you feel hopeful. 
We become like the people we laugh with, the people we struggle with, the people we eat with, choose wisely. The church at its best is supposed to be a gathering of hopeful people bringing hope to each other and by extension to the world. But Paul says that we should gather and worship. And often when we think of music, we think of worship, but the Bible uses the term for much more. We worship when our souls are amazed. And sometimes that happens in song and with music. And sometimes Marissa's playing something and Al's drumming along and I'm like, it's so beautiful and it makes me marvel or the words make me marvel. But sometimes I'm just get caught in a rain shower and the sun comes through the clouds and I'm soaking wet and I just stop running back to my car for a minute and I'm like, this is beautiful. This is a, this is a moment that God has placed me in and I get to enjoy it. Marvel and amazement a sunrise or a mountain or a unique and moving moment can transport you and remind you that there's more than just what you can see and feel and touch going on. There is wonder in our world. Um, Timothy Radcliffe said, The church gathering is not just a cheerful meeting of nice people who sing songs and feel good. It is an outrageous expression of hope in defiance of everything that could destroy it. The goal of the church and one of the things that um, my generation is fixated on is like, why do we have these church services? Like, shouldn't we use our time better? Like, what's the point of them? And here at Horizon, we certainly try to make them as short and succinct and to the point and get rid of unnecessary things. But there's something about gathering together as a people and saying, we don't believe the story. It's just we live and die and don't matter. We gather each week to remind ourselves and to remind each other the story is bigger than us, yes, but we are part of an eternal story and death is not the end. And what we say and do and think, who we are becoming matters because we are made in the image of God and one day we will be with him and be like him. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Diane. So, slow down. Take moments of marvel. Worship. What we worship, we become like. God is relentlessly hopeful. If we worship him, we will become hopeful too. And finally, Paul says we should ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is hope. He says hope is a gift from God that comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus has promised to empower all who become students of his way of life with the Holy Spirit. This divine person gives us power to become like Christ. He grants gifts, and Paul says being abounding with hope is not just something that you can be like, okay, I did the formula, now I get hope. It's also a gift. It's not just something that we can produce. It is a gift from God. It's something we have to ask for. We know that God is here to give good gifts to those who ask. And I have to think, man, have I been so hopeless the last year simply because I haven't asked? I mean, that seems so silly and so simple. Have I been looking for hope in so many places instead of just saying, Jesus, will you fill me with supernatural hope? Will you remind me about what I should be fixated on, what I should be focused on? Will you forgive me for being so full of complaints and so, uh, so obsessed with all the things that didn't work out the way I wanted? That's really not an issue of faith. It was really an issue of control. I've asked for things to work out. And many times what I'm asking for is for me to be safe and happy, but I haven't asked for hope. 
think he's eager to give us it all. Jesus plainly told his students, many times you don't have because you haven't asked. And so as we come to the end, yes, let's plan to help others hope. Let's practice and remember endurance. Let's pray and gather and worship with hopeful people. Let's marvel at these moments of life. But maybe right now as we end, the best thing to do is that we all, just where we are, just ask. God, my city, my family, myself, we need hope. Will you give us hope? Here's a quote from Richard Moore. The theological virtue of hope is the patient and trustful willingness to live without closure, without resolution, and still to be content and even happy because our satisfaction is now at another level and our source is beyond ourselves. It's in God himself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, give us hope. Give us hope as a church. Give us hope as a family. Give us hope as a workplace, Lord, as a neighborhood, as a community, as a city, as a nation, as a world. We need hope. The Christian life runs on hope. Will you remind us that what we do matters? Because when we're hopeless, we say, yeah, we might as well what does it even matter? These destructive practices don't matter. Let's just do whatever. We're hopeless, we don't reach out to help the needy and the hurting because we're like, what does it matter? Nothing matters. When we're hopeless, we don't love our neighbor. Many times we fear them. God, make us a hopeful people. It's the starting place of all Christian discipleship, being hopeful. Fill our hearts with